Uh, I am Dr. Vinod Shah. I am the Director of International Christian Medical and Dental Association, and I live in India. <clears throat> Once, uh, when I was being introduced in a meeting in North India, the pastor came up to me and said, Dr. Shah, uh, what are you and how can I introduce you? So I said, I'm a pediatric surgeon. So he said, uh, what does pediatrics mean? So I said, pediatrics means relating to children. So when the time came to introduce me, he said, this is Dr. Vinod Shah. He's a childish surgeon. <laughs> um, now, we are going to do a joint presentation. Along with me is Dr. Anil Cherian. He's a pediatrician and a public health specialist. And he's also done health economics from a university in London. And arguably one of the most knowledgeable people about poverty in India. And so we're uh, hoping to do this presentation for you. Is that loud enough for you? Okay. <clears throat> uh, why are we talking about defining poverty or redefining poverty? Uh, we're going to talk about that. And then I'm going to, we're going to tell you about the evolution of understanding of poverty. How poverty was initially thought of as a monetary, just money, and how it evolved. And then we are going to talk about uh, what parameters we use to measure poverty, the different concepts of poverty, the secular understanding, and then the understanding of well-being that is being thought of in the development circles, and then the biblical concepts of poverty. And then we'll give you a little case study, and then there'll be a little roundup and conclusion. <coughs> First of all, uh, poverty needs to be defined or redefined because it had a very limited understanding. In the Millennium Development Goal, how many of you are familiar with the Millennium Development Goals? Uh, <clears throat> poverty reduction is a very um, monetary goal. Reduction, you know, one dollar <coughs> per day they need to be moved up beyond one dollar a day. You know, it's a very limited understanding of poverty. Uh, but we still need metrics. So how can we measure poverty? Um, because without that, we cannot have policies. And without public policies, we cannot have strategies for evaluation and monitoring and so on. So it's a very important subject for people who are interested in community health and development. Um, you know, uh, unfortunately, the, uh, the definition of poverty is not simply a scientific thing because it is influenced by worldviews. And Christian missions have sometimes not understood poverty from a biblical perspective, but they have borrowed a secular understanding of poverty. And so this is why we felt that this session was important. <clears throat> okay, in 1990, um, 
the World Bank defined poverty as less than $1 a day in developing countries and less than $2 a day in developed countries. And then it was because of inflation in 2013, this has been redefined as $1.25 a day in developing countries and $2.5 a day in developed countries. Now, uh, we have immediately got a problem. How can you measure income? Because measuring income is not really it. What you have to measure is consumption. Because you can get freebies and you might be eating. So it's really consumption you want to measure, not really the income. So there is that one problem. Um, for example, in a lot of the developing countries, you have people who will be fishing in just public ponds or rivers. Or they may have goats and yield of the wild, you know, eat in the wild. And uh, that is consumption, you know, but his income might be less than a dollar a day. Um, <clears throat> and so it is important to measure consumption rather than income. Most of the time, there are some exceptions. <clears throat> and again, uh, there are some problems about this monetary approach. For example, in Peru and India, income levels were normal. Normal means they were above $1 a day. But 60% of them were deprived of education. And 63% were undernourished. So you have a situation where the family income was normal, according to the World Bank definition, but they had no education and they had no food. And so there is a mismatch. You know, the monetary definitions don't reflect uh, other important variables which are, which are important in development, namely education and nutrition. And a similar picture in Peru. <clears throat> Again, uh, in this particular table, the income was low, but you can see the nutrition was normal. And you can see uh, the education was present in a lot of the cases, at least 35% of cases. So, you know, there is a mismatch. This is all I want to say, that just measuring income does not give you a picture of poverty in its full fullness. <clears throat> okay, these are uh, poverty measures in the developed countries. And here, I want you to look at the last column. 30% uh, were poor in the developed countries, but uh, only 10%, there was a perfect match between education, nutrition, and income. In 20% of them, there was no match. They were either income poor or education poor or poor in terms of nutrition. So, you know, there is a mismatch between uh, monetary and other indicators. <clears throat> and so, uh, this is an inadequate understanding. And therefore, there was an evolution 
in the understanding of poverty. And I'll ask Anil to take it on from here. So, as uh, Dr. Shah mentioned, uh, the definition of poverty has been evolving and changing over time. And uh, uh, so, initially, we started with the $1 concept, which was an absolute poverty. So, uh, it was basically focused on standards of living and how much uh, of an income that is needed to meet a certain uh, basket of needs or uh, basic nutritional needs. So, a minimum package kind of approach. Uh, but uh, especially for countries who were slowly uh, in transition and developing, uh, we were faced with a problem of huge disparities. Uh, for example, in India, we have people who are very rich and there are uh, people who are totally deprived. And so then the concept of relative poverty also was sort of brought in. Because when you look at uh, standards of living, it's not enough to just take an average of what is the income. And so uh, people started looking at what, what the difference was. And there were indexes developed. For example, one index is a uh, disparity index for income. is the Gini index, which measures how, how different, what is the difference between uh, incomes between the rich and uh, the poor. So... Uh, so countries, uh, their income levels, average income level per person can be increasing, but the disparities can be huge. So there are a number of uh, disparity equations. But this also, uh, relative poverty suggests there are, that there are a lot of uh, injustice and there is a lot of reasons why some people are, uh, are kept poor or remain poor in a context where there is wealth available. Uh, the other side already, which was suggested earlier, was that uh, instead of focusing on one dimension, people started looking at a multidimensional approach uh, to poverty, looking at shortfalls from threshold levels at, for various things. For example, education, housing, uh, it could be nutrition, different uh, dimensions, all brought in into poverty. So these uh, various dimensions of well-being, were actually being measured. And uh, one such, so this discussion initially started with a, a Pakistani economist called uh, Mabul Ul Haq. Uh, he was a brilliant guy. And, uh, you know, there was a, in, initially there was a lot of reluctance. People, he was trying to say, say that poverty was more than just income or consumption levels. And, uh, but he was not heard. And in some ways, he was a pioneer of this uh, whole human development concept. Uh, but another uh, person who is better, much better known is Amritya Sen, uh, who is currently professor at Harvard and the Nobel laureate. And he started uh, exploring an alternative, a broader human development approach to defining uh, poverty. And he was talking about uh, capabilities 
the choices that people had, enlarging people's choices, uh, and what he called as freedoms. So uh, these were the three sort of areas uh, that he defined which needed to be included. So he opened up a new or a different way of looking at it. So uh, when he started looking at wealth of people, he said it's not enough, but you need to see what uh, can people make the choices in their life. Do they have the freedom? Do they have the capacities? Uh, so out of this conversation that uh, Makpul had with Amritya Sen and others, and uh, subsequently UNDP uh, developed a concept of a multidimensional poverty index, and uh, it's also called the Human Development Index, and it takes in three uh, components. It uh, looks at health, education, and uh, living standards. So based on these uh, three domains, they developed about ten indicators, which, uh, for example, under health, there was nutrition and child mortality. Under education, you had... Sorry, can you see? Okay. Uh, you look at uh, school education. You looked at the number of years of schooling. And uh, when you looked at living standards, it looked at cooking fuel, housing, water, electricity. And so based on this, uh, a 10-indicator approach uh, which was the multidimensional uh, poverty index was actually introduced. And this is what is referred to as the Human Development Index. And uh, this, just going quickly through, uh, these are the sort of indicators uh, that people are looking at when you delve. Okay. So uh, education, for example, the number of years, as mentioned, and these are measured, and uh, health, nutrition, living standards, you look at sanitation, the flooring of housing, cooking fuel, and certain asset indexes. So what do people own? Basic uh, assets. Uh, a number of other people also have started uh, broadening this. And, uh, for example, this index uses three domains, but others have expanded this to other areas. So... Uh, the idea is that you give a score and you give certain weightages for each of these areas and then come up uh, with an index. And this has been used now all over the world. And uh, so you, you end up by mapping different locations. Uh, this is a map of the world uh, showing the uh, human development index. And you can look at the countries which are really low are the ones which are in white and the light blue ones are the ones which are uh, medium. And then uh, you have the darker ones which are high and very high are the, the really dark ones. So uh, can you spot where you live and human HDI? Okay. Like India, we are in the sort of uh, medium uh, level uh, HDI. And uh, that... Sub-Saharan Africa is the worst. You can see the whole of Sub-Saharan Africa is white. Now, uh, there have been further ev uh, evolution of this. Uh, so, people started, as I mentioned earlier, looking at inequalities and disparity. Uh, and there have been other components that people have brought in. For example, 
gender inequality, the lack of uh, a woman's voice in decision making and household uh, decision making, these have all been incorporated uh, into the development indexes. But essentially they are all uh, are measuring poverty from a multidimensional approach. So, uh, what we see is that there was a transition uh, or a paradigm shift to some extent in the whole understanding of uh, poverty. Initially, we were talking of essentially material deprivation and focused on standards of living, defined by a certain uh, sort of threshold of standard of living. Subsequently, in 2000, and 2000 is just when the Millennium Development Goals were being evolved, there was a shift, and it here poverty is being pronounced as a deprivation of well-being. So the, the shift is from standards of living to well-being. Now, well-being is a much, much broader uh, concept. But uh, in this definition, you have to ask the question, what, what do you mean by, how do you understand well-being? And again, what are the references point? How do you uh, benchmark uh, deprivation how, when you want to measure it. Uh, I just wanted to show you some pictures and I just wanted to look at it to understand that poverty is just not unidimensional. There are so many different aspects and uh, this is a technique called photo voice. The idea is that the photos speak and give you much more uh, ideas what exactly is, how do you understand poverty. Right? Uh, it's related to work. It's related to the nature of work, the kind of work you do. Right? It's housing, definitely. Uh, it is about water, access to different basic uh, facilities. It's also about relationship and how things work. For example, uh, hygiene, cleanliness, sanitation, uh, but that last picture, you can see it's ultimately, uh, it's also about relationships and uh, broken relationships. Definitely it has to do with uh, nutrition and other aspects. So the whole question is, how do you understand well-being? Now, uh, while it was a very positive, a progressive uh, transition in concept, the understanding of well-being again was reduced into essentially resources and commodities. Uh, so the understanding was that well-being was dependent on how much command you have over commodities or resources. So if you, if you are able to control more resources or manage more resources, then uh, your level of well-being improves. Uh, so again, it went, went back to measuring income and specific areas of consumption like food or nutrition or shelter or education. Uh, subsequently, as we mentioned, it was broadened, but it doesn't still take certain aspects as you look, went through that, uh, those pictures. It doesn't quite capture poverty in its uh, fullness. Uh, World Bank also did a very interesting study. They went in spoke to the poor and they had a report which said voices of the poor where they said how do poor understand their own situation? What do they understand as well-being? Uh, 
I've uh, used some quotes from the report, but also quotes that I have personally heard from uh, people in communities. For example, there's a woman from Cambodia who says, poverty means working for 18 hours and still not making enough to feed my children or my husband or myself. Right? So this is uh, her understanding of poverty. Another girl from Brazil said, uh, there is battering all over the place. Men are beating women. Women are hitting men. Uh, both men and women are hitting children. So poverty, in a sense, reflects as violence in different from domestic violence, violence in communities. And uh, this is from a, a girl in India. Uh, I'm fed up with working with cow dung. I sometimes feel like running away. What use is it living uh, like this. So, uh, it's a sense of hopelessness uh, inbuilt into this. Uh, I don't think anything will get better, uh, neither for our children or future generations to come. It's also about physical things. I am old and weak and unable to work. That is why I am poor. So, an association with physical weakness and poverty. Uh, even if you go to government hospitals, it's no use. Nobody attends to you. Uh, lack of access to services, a lack of uh, the way you're treated by others, a lack of dignity. We have no influence, and so nobody listens to us, and there is nothing that we can do about it. Another aspect of evolving uh, idea of poverty and the definition of poverty was poverty as vulnerabilities. So when we talk about poor, we often think of a fixed group of people whom we label poor. But in reality, what we have understood is there are people uh, moving into poverty. Their status keeps shifting all the time. And it's not just that, you know, you're poor or non-poor. There is a whole lot of group of people who go through various, who, who are uh, near poor and then go into poverty. And there are inde indexes of, by which you can actually measure uh, vulnerability. And so what people need is protection from certain shocks that happen in their life, a certain incidents, maybe a disaster or maybe uh, a serious illness which uh, requires hospitalization. All this can tilt and push people into abject poverty. So, uh, so th uh, there have been a lot of alternate frameworks being evolved by others, both Christian and non-Christian. The first two people uh, listed here, uh, Robert Chambers and Friedman, uh, are not Christian. But they looked at poverty as entanglement. Uh, and uh, John Friedman looked at poverty as a lack of social power. Uh, then the, there were other Christians also. Uh, one is poverty as disempowerment. Poverty as a lack of freedom to grow. And uh, that's why Ravi Jaikaran and... Uh, uh, Brian Myers, who's written a brilliant book, uh, Walking with the Poor, talks about a relational understanding of poverty. So just to give you a glimpse on what these all mean. For example, Robert Chambers talks of the poverty system of the household. He looks at different dimensions, and he looks at the material poverty, but he also looks at vulnerability, which I already just mentioned, and he talks about powerlessness and isolation. The fact that uh, poor people have no uh, contacts, they don't, are not linked to people, they don't have. Uh, for example, if I was in a situation, I could always get out of it by 
calling someone I knew or getting somebody's assistance. But poor people are isolated. They don't have any uh, social connections uh, adequate. Uh, physical weakness, which I mentioned, they're nutritionally and physically weak, fall sick all the time. So this is a sort of system of uh, poverty. Uh, another framework uh, proposed by Jayakumar Christian uh, talks about uh, a system of disempowerment. He sees that people are uh, systematically disempowered in different dimensions. And uh, he talks about the political dimension. He talks about religious dimensions. Uh, when he say religious, not only Christian, but other faiths. Uh, it's also economic, uh, cultural, and social. And when you look at the disempowering systems, it can be at different levels. It can be at the village level, which is the micro level. It could be at a larger level of communities. It could be at a, a state or national level. It could be at an international level. And he interestingly adds another dimension, which he calls the cosmic dimension. In a sense, uh, there is evil happening, and there is a process of evil in systems, uh, in, uh, ingrained in systems, which disempowers uh, people. Uh, Brian Myers talks about in terms of relationship. Uh, sorry, uh, can, can you see this at the back? Okay. Uh, he talks about the relationship of individuals and people, self with God, a breakdown in relationship. He talks about people and other people, people and their own community, starting with families, uh, and uh, people and a breakdown with the environment. And he says that as a result of the fall and uh, the breakdown of relationships, uh, it is because of this that poverty actually evolves. And so there is a deficit in relationships in all these aspects uh, which defines poverty. And then you go on to the biblical understanding of well-being. And the question is, how does the Bible understand well-being? And uh, the Old Testament word used essentially is shalom, uh, which sometimes is translated as peace, but it's much more than that. The word sort of is about peace and justice, care of creation, respect for human beings. And uh, Perry Order uh, in his book describes about three dimensions of the word shalom. It talks about material and uh, physical well-being. It talks about positive relationships with, between people and groups. And also about an ethical uh, or straightforwardness, a moral dimension uh, to well-being. I thought, uh, I'll just take you through a, <clears throat> a biblical understanding of poverty and uh, the passage we would like to use to, to showcase the biblical understanding is the Nazareth Manifesto Luke chapter 4 because uh, <clears throat> it says the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor and then he does, it lists some of the things he wants to do. One is to proclaim liberty 
recovery of sight, to set at liberty and proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. So, these are the poor categories. This is why it has been captioned as good news to the poor. And then it talks about these four categories. And the four categories are hope, broken-hearted, the culture of hopelessness. And I'll talk about this. Um, there was a quotation from uh, a tribal lady. She said, Jesus may have died for a white man or a good man, but not for us. That is a kind of hopelessness they feel. Uh, some people have called this fatalism or paralysis of the status quo. Have you heard of that? That means, you know, nothing can change my, it's my fate that I will be poor and my family will be poor. Nothing can change it. Then liberty and captives. You know, Jesus never set people really free from prison, physical prison. So he wasn't really talking about a physical prison. He was talking about a different kind of prison. <clears throat> Structures that hold people down. You know, injustice, lack of information, prejudice. Um, <clears throat> and then health, which is quite obvious, you know, blind and diseased people. And then oppression and addictions. Uh, you know, people are... Imprisonment is from outside. Oppression is from inside. You know, that is the distinction. So the oppressions are addictions and habits and evil. So this is the Nazareth Manifesto. And this is, I believe, Jesus' understanding of who the poor were. <clears throat> As you can see, this is a very holistic understanding. Um, another important biblical understanding is, it is about empowering the poor, it is not about giving them resources of money. Because you might remember this episode of the blind beggar who asked Peter and John for money. And Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold, but I'll give you what I do have. In the name of Jesus, the Messiah from Nazareth walk. That means uh, what you really need is not money, what you need is something else, some power for your legs and empowerment in your spirit so that you can be independent and so that you can manage. <clears throat> and this is also our understanding. We don't give resources, simply resourcing. We empower people so that they can manage on their own. <clears throat> uh, stigma. You know, this is uh, Mary Magdalene. Um, if there was someone who was more disqualified to be a good person, it was she. So many demons inside and a prostitute and uh, completely stigmatized. But she was the one person whom God honored the most because um, appeared to him during first person to appear after resurrection was Mary the Magdalene. So you can see how God empowered someone who was stigmatized. And that is, you know, the Christian approach to poverty about empowering people who are stigmatized. The pe stigmatized people today would be HIV people, 
or perhaps you know people who are uh, addicted to alcohol, drugs, uh, maybe same sex and stigmatized because of that and so on. So um, <clears throat> lack of access. You remember the story about blind Bartimaeus. He's, he was screaming for help, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And they said, shut up, you know, he is not for you. But Jesus said, no, I won't. I won't let him speak to me, you know. And so it was about providing access. <clears throat> and uh, you remember the story about the paralytic at the pool. Jesus didn't immediately help him. He said, do you want to be healed? Think about it. Are you quite comfortable with your present situation? And so he got him to reflect and he got him to make a proper choice and got him out of that fatalism because, you know, he was there for 38 years and it's very difficult to believe that he didn't have an opportunity to get pushed into the pond. Um, he fought injustice, you know, at the temple and, you know, Nebo's vineyard, you know the story of uh, Elijah challenging him about his injustice because he killed Neboth and took his vineyard. <clears throat> uh, and slavery and oppression. Uh, gender relations. You know, he befriended a Samaritan woman. She was uh, not, uh, she was a woman and not only a woman, she was a Samaritan woman. Someone a Jew would have not talked to at all, but he took it made that attempt to talk to her. <clears throat> um, there is a very well-known poverty specialist here in the U.S. This is her sixth edition of the book. It's called A Framework for Understanding Poverty. Uh, she talks about the culture of poverty and he's, she says that there is a culture that keeps generation after generation um, in bondage to poverty because they cannot believe that they can come out. And that is because they have a culture of poverty which is highlighted by three things. Attitude to time, they never plan. They live only for the day. Attitude to money, they never save money. And they transmit helplessness or hopelessness generation to generation so that people don't ever feel empowered in their families. And uh, again, in the Nazareth Manifesto, it says, proclaiming the acceptable year of the Lord. You know, acceptable year of the Lord refers to the jubilee year, when all the debt was forgiven, all that was passed was over, and you could make a new beginning. So that was about hope. And so... Poverty was also about giving hope, according to the Nazareth Manifesto. So you help with the culture of hopelessness. Uh, now, there is another big difference between a secular understanding and a biblical understanding. The secular understanding is that you sit in air-conditioned rooms, you make a strategy, you go and do things to the poor, you give them this, and you engineer a particular project, 
and you are there and you do things to the poor. Now, that is a secular understanding. Uh, but the Christian understanding is that we need the poor as much as they need us. Now, that's very different from the secular understanding. Because if we did not have them, then we will not be saved from our petty preoccupations. And uh, we will we will not be saved from our own meaninglessness. So, uh, what I am trying to say is that we need the poor as much as they need us. It's only together that we will find salvation for both of us. <clears throat> so, that is a radically different understanding from the secular understanding. just wanted to give you a, a case study of how uh, this under, an understanding which is broader than just material poverty and uh, multidimensional can be applied. And uh, this is our experience that we have had in the Emanuel Hospital Association, which I work in India. And uh, initially, uh, we were providing medical services and materials. Like even when we were doing some kind of development work, we would give cow goats or cows. We would give this because we felt that the poor didn't have it and we had to provide it or we would construct toilets and, uh, you know, uh, housing. Even when it came to malnutrition and nutrition, we were running, you know, uh, food supplementation for children, uh, nutritional supplements. And uh, all this, which in itself are not bad, and in certain contexts of relief or welfare when there's disaster, it, it may be okay. But when you look at a long-term perspective, uh, these were not sustainable. They didn't really make an impact or difference. Uh, in the, and communities began to get dependent uh, on, our, on us. So slowly, uh, over a period of time, we shifted away from the service delivery approach to a community empowerment approach. And uh, we started working with communities trying to organize communities because we found that there was a breakdown in relationships, there was fragmentation, different groups, and they were not low-trust communities, not able to work together. So we started working with communities and uh, working on self-help groups, working on uh, participatory approaches. We tried to identify vulnerable groups and marginalized. We talked about vulnerability. And there were six domains that we actually... Uh, designed our programs on. One was health, but again, the, it was, the difference was in the approach. Yeah. So we enabled communities to access, uh, rather than uh, us providing all the services or providing everything, medicines to all the facilities, we started looking at how communities can access health in a larger. So sometimes uh, the mission hospitals that we had were the providers. Sometimes it could be the government facilities. Sometimes it could be others. Uh, we started uh, looking at uh, groups which were not able to access facilities, like the disabled uh, or the mentally ill, and trying to look at how to improve their access. We worked on economic and livelihood. Uh, there we introduced the concept of uh, social protection, protecting them against financial shocks, protecting against losses like uh, uh, their cattle. So insurance were brought into different health insurance, 
cattle insurance, uh, agriculture, uh, crop insurances. Uh, we worked on micro credit and micro enterprise, again working with groups and enabling them uh, to address their problems. Uh, we worked on learning communities and community education, the whole area of vocational training and developing. Uh, we are now working on community colleges, uh, trying to give them skills that they can use to gain employment. But we also did a lot of life education, life skills education for young people. Uh, starting with issues of self-esteem, yeah, and uh, we worked on community leadership. Uh, the other domains were the natural resource management, uh, caring for communities that are inclusive, uh, spiritual transformation. So the uh, thing is that in our approach, we were addressing issues which were beyond uh, material poverty. It went into areas which were addressing their worldviews, their understanding. Uh, all, a lot of our work was in the context of building relationship and restoring relationships uh, and building trust. And we were also forced to look at our own challenges and assumptions uh, regarding what is well-being. Uh, we initially undertook community-based studies and did research. And at the end of it, we came up with certain lists of a criteria to identify, a simple criteria to identify poor in our communities. We started learning that families with uh, people with disability or chronic illnesses were the poor. Uh, widows or single parent families were poor. Uh, landless laborers, people with absolutely no land were poor. Uh, families with no education, not even one adult who was educated. So it is possible. But when you look at this, it's not very different from what the Bible talks of. Bible talks about widows and orphans. It talks about uh, uh, relationship with people with disability. So in some ways, this criteria is not something new, but it is a, uh, from the biblical understanding. Uh, so in concluding, I just want to summarize what we've uh, talked. We said that poverty is multidimensional and beyond material deprivation. Uh, the Bible uh, gives us some critical ideas and principles about working with the poor. The biblical understanding of poverty needs to inform and direct our approach to working with the poor. And uh, we are being transformed in his image as we learn to work with the poor. Um, we are open to questions. And if you have questions, please ask.